Well, um, we have been going through the story. We have been going through um, a beautiful telling of the chronological events that have happened from creation until the ascension, and we are in chapter 25. If you're here for the first time after the service, I'm going to be in the back by this table. I would love to meet you, and I would also love to give you a copy of the story as a gift and of our, of, uh, our appreciation for you coming and visiting with us. So it's, uh, it's, been, a, it's been an awesome journey. I got to say, I know I say this all the time, and I guess I'm just going to have to make it the top 40. Or, I don't know what I'm going to do, but was last week not one of Jason's best preaches? Oh, my goodness. Dude, that was unbelievable. I mean, I didn't even want to show up for work today. I'm like, how am I going to follow that? And so I decided, you know what? Better yet, I'll one-up him by showing somebody else's speech. So I'm going to start with this, and then I'm going to explain why. This is, uh, this is an excerpt. It's about 2 minutes and 41 seconds. I am happy to join with you today in what will go down in history as the greatest demonstration for freedom in the history of our nation. where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. With this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. Let freedom ring, and when this happens, when we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, Free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. to see that in 1963 was when that speech was written, and you see the face of this great nation at a catalytic time when injustice was beginning to be dealt with in powerful ways. 
and you see a courageous man, a pastor, such as myself and such as I think most pastors would aspire to be, who was willing to speak to his nation at his own risk and who was indeed martyred for the things that he said and the things that he stood for. And he knew before he was shot, one of the things he said, in fact, JFK was shot and uh, Martin Luther King Jr. He said to his wife, this is gonna happen to me. He said, this is gonna happen to me. This is a crazy nation right now. And this same thing is gonna happen to me. He knew that it was coming. But he refused to be silent. And you can see, I think the thing that's so, uh, that's so powerful as you see these couple of excerpts from this speech, you can see almost the wonder, the resignation, and the confidence at the same time in the eyes of Pastor King. You can see there's a lot going on. You, you notice his voice is strong, but when you look in his eyes, you can almost see a resignation that he knows that what he's doing is going to cost him his life. But he's saying it anyway. And of course, we know, we know the story. And we've also lived, the, lived to see the day, regardless of, of decision-making or not, but I praise God that we live to see the day that, that some of the dreams that Martin Luther King Jr. had have come to pass. And not only do our children play together, but we have our first African-American president. And even that's beautiful, too, because he's half black and half white. I feel like that's prophetic as well, isn't it? Do we have to be politically correct in here? I think it's amazing to see. We're not talking about politics right now. We're talking about God's dream over this nation that he would see unity and, him, and, and Jesus Christ's kingdom would be glorified. Who is the original racist? Satan. Now listen to these words and you're wondering, what does this have to do with the story? Don't worry, it'll all come together. I, I didn't feel like I could read from uh, Martin Luther King's speech unless I let him say it first. But listen to these words. I say to you today, my friends, and I'm starting at the end of it. He says, though, even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of the creed, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day, even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream. I have a dream that one day in Alabama with its vicious racists, with its governor having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification, one day right there in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted. Every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain and the crooked places will be made straight. Come on, how many of you recognize that's the scriptures? 
and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. Isn't that awesome? This is our hope. This is the faith that I go back to the south with. This, with this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. This will be the day when all of God's children will be able to sing with new meaning, my country tis of thee, sweet land of liberty, and of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride, from every mountainside let freedom ring. And if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring from the prodigious hilltops of New Hampshire. Let freedom ring from the mighty mountains of New York. Let freedom ring from the heightening, and I don't know how to say this, allegenies of Pennsylvania. Let freedom ring from the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado. Let freedom ring from the curvaceous slopes of California. But not only that, let freedom ring from the Stone Mountain of Georgia. Let freedom ring from Lookout Mountain of Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and molehill of Mississippi, from every mountainside. Let freedom ring. When we allow freedom to ring, when we let it ring from every city and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, great God Almighty, we are free at last. You see, this vision involved getting rid of the segregation of America, which was a blight on America. And praise be to God that we've been a nation that's willing to face those things. But it started and, and ended with men and women who were willing to count the cost and live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. Martin Luther King was a, was a son of God, and then he was a pastor and then he was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He was affected by the teachings of Christ Jesus to the point that he gave his life in the areas of injustice that he saw in his day, knowing full well that it would most, most likely cost him his life. And yet you saw him standing there and giving that speech and living that life until his life was taken from him. So I wanna just start with that story I want to start with that part of our collective history. And to this day, how many of you, when you hear that, I have a dream, it still rings something inside of you that you should still have hope, that impossible things still happen, that ideals that were handed down from the Father's heart, dreams that the Father has, should still be happening on earth. It rings true because it sounds much like the, the, the same prayer that Christ Jesus prayed, which was, my Father in heaven, holy is your name. Let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, rather than saying, oh God, come quickly and get me off this earth and get me to heaven. Are you guys with me? All right, so let me, let me piece some things together. But I wanted, that to be, I wanted that to be real and true and fresh at your heart of one of the heroes of our land 
and some of the heritage that we've received because of what he was willing to do. Amen? Is that good right there by itself? All right. You guys are, you guys are kind of quiet today. Matthew 16. Here we go. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, and he said, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Peter has a revelation of who Christ Jesus is, and it's the Father that gave him the revelation that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. And as soon as Peter caught a hold of it, he understood it because of what the Father had revealed. How many of you guys know that we're only here because what the Father has revealed, right? We, didn't, we weren't genius enough to figure it out. He actually laid it out for us. It says all of creation speaks of the glory of God. He is revealing his glory to us. It's been revealed to us through Christ. Christ is a, has appeared to Peter, and we're in that same boat. Christ has appeared to us. Our eyes have been opened. We understand it. We say, you are the Messiah. And in that moment, then, Jesus turns to Peter, and he says, and I tell you, since you understand who I am, and I'm revealing the Father. Now, in, based on that revelation, let me tell you who you are. You, Peter, are now a rock. And, 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 and you, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. And it wasn't just to Peter. How many of you know Peter's with the Lord right now? So if he has the keys, and that was the only keys that there were, that wasn't a very good promise. But he was saying, Peter, as you catch the revelation of who I am, I'm going to build my church on that revelation that I'm the son of God. And all of us are having that same revelation. So Peter gets his identity in the moment that he understands who the father is. We don't have an identity outside of the father. We don't have an identity, identity outside of Christ Jesus. He has reconciled us to the father, which makes all of us sons and daughters. That's good, isn't it? That's a good thing. No, it's a good thing, guys. I don't think you're listening because it's a really good thing. It is, your sons and daughters, because you have a daddy, and he's a great daddy. And so it's been revealed to us that Jesus Christ is the son. So suddenly now we've got some authority. We've got some, we understand like, oh, I'm, I might be called to do something powerful, which is good. And I love Peter, by the way. Peter is one of my favorites, honestly, because he's, he's quick to act. He's really courageous and then really like a serious coward. Uh, he says really stupid things, and then God never gives up on him. And I feel really kindred with Peter in all of those ways, in all of those ways. And so Peter, he, he catches this, and he's really excited. He's like, I've got authority. I'm going to do great things. I'm a part of what God's doing. He catches it. And it goes on to say, from, on, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And Peter, 
I love this. Peter now, you notice we don't even call him Simon anymore. We call him Peter because he has his new name. And Peter is feeling good about his new name and his new authority. And so he says, awesome, I have the keys to the kingdom. The Father's revealing stuff to me. And Jesus clearly needs my help. And so he goes to Jesus and he begins to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he says, this shall never happen to you. I have the keys to the kingdom, and I'm binding this, and I'm loosing life for you, Jesus. This is, it's not as stupid as it sounds. He misunderstood what was going on, but he heard Jesus talking crazy. He heard Jesus asking or telling them something weird was going to happen that didn't jive with what Peter wanted, and Peter did, I think, what any of us would have done in light of revelation of the fact that we have authority and the keys to the kingdom and that we can bind and loose, and he goes and he binds Jesus. He says, Jesus, I bind that. Right now in your name. Stop talking like that. You're talking crazy, Jesus. That's never going to happen. But Jesus turns and says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) Good night. (laughs) You are a stumbling block to me. And I underline this. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You see, there were a lot of things that were going on for Peter right now. And like I said, I identify with Peter. Peter caught the vision of what God was going to do. He's seen God do. He's seen Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who he's, now he's got the revelation that he's the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He's seen him multiply bread. He's seen him walk on water. He's seen him raise people from the, was he read? Yeah, he's seen people raised from the dead. He's seen that the kingdom is real and it's filled with the authority of the Father. And now he has a full revelation and an endorsement from Christ himself. And then suddenly, in light of all that revelation and all that joy and all that excitement and all of that vision, Jesus then starts saying, So anyway, I'm going to be killed. And Peter's going, that does not make any sense to me, Jesus. How is it that you could be the son of God and even be killed? That doesn't even make sense. And further, Jesus, I mean, I'm just thinking about you, but if they can kill you, what about me? Because I'm not even really doing, I mean, I've done a few things since we've been hanging out, but I'm pretty sure all the juice is coming from you. And if they can kill you, where does that leave me? And so Peter does the math, and he decides, Jesus, you must be wrong. That is not going to happen to you. And what Peter's also saying is, because it's not going to happen to me. He's extrapolating, and he's saying, this concerns me. This is going to affect me. You see, Peter realized that his safety and his career and his reputation and his popularity and his life were on the line because Jesus was leading them towards the cross. And so Peter turns to Jesus and he says, Jesus, don't do it this way. I've got a better way to do this, Jesus. I've got a better way. Here's the deal. We don't need to make anybody mad. That's, let's not offend people here. Let's, let's, not go the, let's not go that direction. Let's try a different direction. Let's go with a direction that doesn't involve anybody getting Um, you know, losing their careers or reputations or the respect of the community or, um, you know, it just just doesn't jive with me, Lord. I don't like this. And Jesus says to him in that moment, he doesn't even apologize. He says to him, Peter, get behind me. 
And he calls him Satan. That word means adversary. Peter, he says to Peter, get behind me, adversary. You are a stumbling block to me. You're getting in the way of the purposes of my dad. You're getting in the way of the purposes of everything that I've come to do. You're now my adversary. You're putting yourself between me and why I came. You're actually getting in the way of the redemption of the earth and all humankind for all of history. And you're stumbling me, Peter. You're my friend. You're my brother. But right now, you don't have God's purposes in mind. You have merely human concerns. You remember in the scripture, at one point, one of the apostles is talking to the disciples, and he says, is there still strife among you? Is there still quarreling? Is there still arguing and gossip and slander? You guys are acting like mere men. Do you remember that? You're acting like mere humans. What are you doing? He's referencing this. He's saying, Jesus is going, hey, you're just thinking about mere human concerns right now. You're just thinking about your pride. Are you guys with me? How many, how many of us understand times when we've been thinking about mere human concerns? Come on. Is anybody getting busted yet? I know. It gets worse. It gets worse. Just get ready. Buckle up. So Jesus doesn't even flinch. After he's told Peter, Peter, get behind me. You're just worried about human stuff right now. You're not thinking about what I want to accomplish on the earth right now. You're just thinking about how you would do it. You're worried about what might happen. You're worried about that you might die. So let me encourage you. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they've done. Now, I want you to look at the succession here. Jesus, Jesus is talking about who do, you, who do people say that I am? I want to know, what, is, what does the, he's taking a poll, okay? He's saying, guys, what does, what does the public think that I am right now? And they say, well, some people think you're John the Baptist, and some people think you're Elijah. So some think that you've come back as John the Baptist, who was calling people to repentance. Some people think you're Elijah, who, how many of you guys know, Elijah was the one who came in and killed everybody, all the priests with the sword, remember? Had the showdown with Baal. So these guys have different opinions about what sort of a political platform you're on, Jesus, which, which message you're bringing. You guys with me? And Jesus says, okay, well, that's, that's, that's interesting. You know, obviously, I'm neither of those people, and, and your political agendas probably have nothing to do with what I'm doing. And he says, who do you say I am? They say, you're the son of God. He says, absolutely, I'm the son of God. And he says, and the Father has revealed that to you. And Peter's excited because the kingdom is coming, and authority is coming, and all these good things are coming. And then Jesus says, okay, so here's what's going to happen, guys. Now that, you're, now that you're in with me on what we're going to accomplish on this earth, I want to let you know I'm going to die. They're going to kill me. And Peter's going, <laughs> wait, wait. That's not what I signed up for. And Jesus then says, listen, don't think about it from just your perspective. Don't run this through your own filter. Don't run this through being merely human. You're an immortal son of the Most High God. I'm the firstborn of many, and I'm teaching you how to be the many. And I'm telling you, God has an amazing plan. 
And he turns around and he says this, in light of what's going to happen, if you want to follow me, then you have to be willing to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. It's this whole different picture. Now, this is an interesting thing that we hold in tension as followers of Christ because we have all these promises of good things that God does bring. This scripture right here ends with this promise that he will reward each person according to what they've done, right? So there is reward, and we know also it says in Hebrews that anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists, and he's a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. So God exists, and he's a rewarder. So there is actually reward for everything that we do. And it even says this, if you give even anyone a cup of cold water in my name, you will by no means lose your That's right. So he's a rewarder of those of us that seek him. It also says this, there's oil and wine in the house of the wise. A fool spends everything that he has, but there's always oil and wine in the house of the wise. The scripture shows again and again and again that righteousness leads to wealth. That is just true. It's because you stop paying stupid tax and do things God's way, and you know what? They get blessed because God wants you to be a blessing. So these are all true promises about the kingdom. These are all true promises, but they're to be held in tension with this reality that Jesus also brings and says, however, don't ever work for that stuff. He says this, what will it gain a man if he gets the whole earth but loses his soul? What's he saying? Guys, you're going to get about 80-something years on this earth if you're lucky. In America right now, most, most men here are going to live till they're 76 on average. The women are going to live till they're 78 on average. And so we have almost 80 years. Some of us, like my wife's probably going to live to be like 99 because that's how her people do. I'm planning on leaving sooner because we all know I can't live without Karen. But all that is to say it's a very short time that we have here. And during that time, everything that we do is to be run through the context of this kingdom initiative that Jesus is bringing us. And while we're doing it, we have these promises that God brought. We just saw the promise to Peter. I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. Anything you bind in my name is bound. Anything you loose in my name, it's loosed. This is the revelation of who I am. But then when Jesus says, now this is how I want to roll, Peter comes in and goes, whoa, 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 that's not working for me. That's not working for me. And why did Peter do that? Why did Peter do that? Because Peter did not yet understand that it's total and complete and whole surrender to Jesus Christ. Which means we don't get to choose where we're going to live. We don't get to choose when we're going to die. That's dad's business. Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, Lord, if it's possible, could I not die? Do you remember this? If it's possible that this cup would pass from me, could we do it a different way? And he said this, but not my will, but yours be done, Father. Jesus himself was called to do the same thing that we're doing. How many of you guys know that God hasn't asked us to do anything that he himself wasn't already willing to do? Jesus came and lived out every single thing that we've been called to do. Jesus did it without sin. So Peter is coming and he's saying, Lord, I'm concerned about my reputation. I'm concerned about my career. And I'm concerned about my life. And I need for you to change the way that we're going to do this. And Jesus says, no, Peter. If you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. 
And if you don't deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me, you might gain all the friends in the world for the short time that you're on this earth, but you'll lose your soul. This is a zero negotiation area of the kingdom. There is no give and take here. This is about total and absolute surrender. We will either give him our whole lives or we won't. We're the only ones that get to choose that. And then each of us has to contextualize what that looks like. So many of us, as I was just sharing a moment ago, we came into the kingdom maybe because we heard about all the blessings. And they're true. And they're really, really good. But the blessings will become the stumbling block for each of us if we haven't done this part. Are you guys tracking with me? You see, the blessings are from the Father. He said, you will be blessed. Do these things and you will be blessed. Do these things and you will gain wealth. The Bible's the one that says, gather wealth little by little and you'll make it grow. The Bible's the place where it says that, it, that he's the one that gives us the ability to work and make a profit. The Bible's the one that actually calls the unprofitable servants wicked. So we're supposed to make a profit. We're supposed to be faithful with everything that he's given us and actually increase it. Everything in the kingdom increases. Everything in the kingdom is profitable. But we will gain the whole world and yet lose our soul if we get these things out of sync. And every single one of us is in a different context, a different place where we have to work this part out with God in the places where we're arguing with Jesus and saying, Jesus, I don't like the way you're doing this. I feel like we should do it a different way. And Jesus is saying, what is he saying? He's saying, hey, wait a minute. Don't become my adversary. Don't become a stumbling block to what I want to do in the earth. If you're seeking to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you'll lose your life for my sake, you're going to gain it. Now, here's the place where I want us to catch where we are at this time. Every single one of us is faced in some place with circumstances that cause us to react just like Peter's reacting. Every one of us has those places in our days and in our lives where we have to be willing to hear Jesus say to us, stop. You're just thinking about merely human concerns right now. You're just thinking about being well-liked right now. You're just thinking about what might happen negatively to you if you obey me in this matter right now. You're just merely thinking about human things and not the purposes of God. And in those places, we, just like Peter, we have to be willing to say, oh, Father, I am scared. I don't know, I don't know how to do this. I'm terrified. I don't wanna lose my good reputation. Or I don't want to lose my business. I don't want to lose my job. I don't want to lose my friends. I don't want to lose the approving smiles of the political correctness of my day.
And the Lord says, if you try to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. Fear is the opposite of love. It says perfect love casts out all fear. Why? Because love looks at the person and says, whatever it takes, I'm going to express myself to you. And it doesn't matter what it costs me. God already bought me. He already paid for me. He gave his life. The scripture says this, greater love has no man than this, but that he lays his life down for his friends. And then Jesus demonstrated what that looks like. He both died and was resurrected and lives. And in both ways, he's living his life. It says he lives interceding for us even right now. What's he doing? He, he lives for us and he died for us. He's demonstrated what a true friend does. And then he says, now you go and do likewise. Now, are we supposed to go to the cross? No, of course not. That's not what he's called us to do. He did that once and for all. But has he called us to a lifestyle of denying ourselves, not out of weird aestheticism, but unto the purpose of demonstrating his love in every way? Absolutely. In generosity, in time spent, in forgiveness given, in patience shown and endured, in labors unto the extension of the kingdom. And every one of us, see, this is the part where I don't stand up here and try to give you a list of all the things that you should do and how you should do them. You have the Holy Spirit in you. The Holy Spirit has revealed the Father to you. So where each of us is, is to say, okay, Father, I know that you want to extend your kingdom into every area of society, and I'm in society. I'm in a specific place right now. Where do you want me to lay my life down? Where do you want me to show your love? Where do you want me to serve? Where do you want me to give? How do I do this? And in those places where we find ourselves stopping short, those are the places where we will find Jesus saying to us, you have in mind the things of men and not of God right here. Is this resonating with you guys? Now, I love this. So Jesus rebukes Peter, and then he teaches the disciples, you're going to have to lay your whole life down. And then he does this. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And there he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And just then, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If, if you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. <laughs> it's just, it's, I, just, I could just see me saying this. Uh, what do you want me to do? I don't know what to do with my hands. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and he touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. I love this. Look at, the, look at what God's done. He says, you're going to have to lay your whole life down. I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. 
Don't be afraid of what man thinks. And don't only think about human concerns. Let the Father's purposes be number one for you. Count the cost. Take up your cross. Don't become an adversary to the work that I'm doing. But then he turns and he says, now, a few days later, he says, now let me show you something. And he takes them and he gives them a glimpse into what he's about to do. Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets is being fulfilled in Christ Jesus. He gives them a a glance at the big picture and then he lets them hear the voice of the Father. It's so terrifying because the Father, of course, is holy. None of us can see him yet. This little body of ours will just pop, but it's terrifying. So they're just laying there like, and Jesus, I love this. Jesus comes and he says this to them, get up, don't be afraid. Get up. Don't be afraid. Every one of us is in a situation today, in one way or another. Well, we may not be in it today, I'm sorry. Every one of us in life gets in situations where we need to hear Jesus say, get up. Don't be afraid. Where we need to be touched by Jesus, where he says, get up. Don't be afraid. And Jesus is the one that leads us into those places and reveals the Father again. See, Peter's terrified because he's he's grappling with the idea that this is going to be a lot harder than he thought. How many of you prayed a prayer and you're like, this is awesome! And and it is. And you're like, I feel so good. I feel so whole. I'm part of a family. And then and, and Jesus is like, you are. And you're like, I am. And everything's good. And the Spirit of God comes in. Holy Spirit, you're like, this feels so awesome. I'm alive. Everything smells better than it ever smelt before. And it looks more beautiful than it's ever looked before. And those things are all true. And then he says, okay, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to forgive your mother. And you're like, gee. I want you to I want you to be an unashamed Christ follower in your workplace. Translation weird. <laughs> You're like, "Oh, I don't think that's going to bring you glory, Lord." I don't want I don't want people to think you're weird, Lord. I want to be the cool follower of Christ that proves to the world that Jesus is just all right. He's like, you have in mind the things of men. I'm asking you to be an authentic follower of Christ. I'm asking to look like what you look like when you've counted the cost, and there is nothing that you'll allow to get between me and you. You don't have anything to prove. You don't have anyone to impress because you've given your whole life to me, and you will love purposefully and unashamedly in every situation, living up to the the level of righteousness that Christ calls you to in your finances, in your conversations, in your internet searches, everywhere. And you go, oh, that sounds like a lot, Lord. I'm more of a grace kind of Christian. Like, I feel like I'm here to demonstrate to people that Jesus isn't mad at all the stuff I'm still doing. And he's going, no, 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 that's not what this is. Okay, so we've all been here. And in that place, what we need is for the Father to be revealed to us again that he is holy. That he is holy. He didn't lower the standard down to our current level of experience and practice because he's holy. No, he did not do that. That is not holiness. Nor did he make us try to perform so that we could finally get to that standard of holiness and practice. No, he knew that we would be unable to do that on our own. That's called legalism. 
No, he sent Christ to die on our behalf. He lived the life that we should have lived. And he died the death that we should have died so that we can now live the life that he lived. That's the gospel. And some of us need to have the Father revealed to us again by Jesus Christ. And in the place where you are, right now, whatever you're afraid of, right now, whatever that thing is that keeps besetting you, right now, Jesus is wanting to reveal the Father, reveal the vision to you. And when you're terrified, because it is terrifying, by the way, he is a holy, righteous, jealous, amazing, and I mean jealous in a good way, like nobody else gets you. Nobody gets to hurt you. Nobody gets to take advantage of you. Nobody gets to steal you from me. You're my kid. I'm not going to let them have you. I am very jealous for you. That's the kind of jealousy I'm talking about. The, you, you know, the kind you have for your spouse. That kind of jealousy, right? The kind you have for your virgin daughter. Nobody gets that girl. I may give her to one husband, but we'll see. We'll see. It's a long process for that. The good kind. And that's the Father that Jesus reveals to you. And you know what happens at first? You're terrified. You're terrified because you see your own heart. And it is terrifying because he's actually holy. He doesn't lower the standard down. It's scary at first, not because he doesn't love you, but because his love is holy. And we're not. And you go, there's a distance, Lord. And then Jesus comes in and says, yes, but my father refused for there to be a distance anymore. And so I lived the life that you couldn't live. And I died the death that you all deserve to die. And I took that distance away. So get up. Don't be terrified. So where's that place right now for you? Where's that place right now for you? Where's that area that Jesus is speaking to right now in these scriptures? Where do you need to hear Jesus? Do I need a revelation of Jesus? That he's with me. I love this. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Maybe I need to look up and see no one but Jesus right now. Maybe then I won't be as afraid of everybody's opinions of me. I can stop reading everybody my resume every time I see them, because Jesus is with me. Do I need to stop telling God how to do things? Maybe that's where I am in this story right now. I just need to stop telling him how to do it and listen and say, well, what do you want to do then? Do I need to lay aside my reputation and fears and control over my life? Maybe I'm the adversary between me and God right now. Every time he shows up, I start telling him how he can do things if I'm going to be working with him, if I'm going to be in a relationship with him. And maybe it's time for me to recognize that I just have the fears of man controlling me. Maybe I need Jesus to remind me of the big picture, as we shared, the revelation, the law and the prophets fulfilled in Christ and the Father saying, this is my son. This is what it's all about. Maybe that's where I am. Or maybe I'm in that place right now. Maybe today, right now, I need to hear Jesus say, get up. Don't be afraid.
wherever you are in this story. Wherever you are in this story. If you turn to him and give him everything, I promise you, he will not disappoint you. He will not disappoint you. I want the prayer servant team, if you guys could come up. There are many here today that you just need to come and share with another human being. This is what's going on with me right now, and I just need prayer. I just need prayer. This is my thing. This is my thing. I am so scared to be a real Christian in this world right now. I am so scared. I spend all of my time running for political correct Christian to prove to everyone that Jesus is just all right and would never offend anyone. And here's the good news. Jesus said the gospel is offensive. He said, be careful that you're not offended by me. People will be offended. The gospel is so progressive, it offends everyone. It is. The gospel is so progressive, it includes every single race, every single gender, every single human being, in every single socioeconomic level of all the earth. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God in the gospel. Everyone. No one is left out. No one is left out. Everyone is saved by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the only all-inclusive, completely progressive, truly non-excluding uh, message that there is. Isn't that great? We are all equally close to repentance and love because of Christ Jesus. So wherever you are today, look up. Jesus says, get up. And don't be afraid. Father, I pray that you'd bless us. I pray that you'd help us to take this message that is so pertinent today as it was that day as you spoke it to Peter and the disciples. And let us contextualize it today. Let us live this out. Let us do the work to understand where we are in relationship to you and how we can continue to lay our lives down and truly live. In Jesus' name, amen.